Welcome to the Quill Podcast. Hello, my name is Robert Lloyd. I'm the Executive Director of the Lemieux Center for Public Policy at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, Florida. We're so glad you're here joining us today. We have a great Quill ahead of us. And as always, the Lemieux Center for Public Policy's mission is to provide a space for reason, thoughtful, and civil discourse on pressing public issues confronting Florida, the United States, and the world. So... Those of you listening to us today, you're in for a treat. We have Lisa Bittner in here. Thank you for joining. Dean Lloyd, thank you so much for having me here in sunny Florida. Yes, indeed. It's a beautiful day. So those of you listening in the far, far north, um, we hope you enjoy some of the sunshine coming through this podcast. I wanted to send Lisa Bittner is a head of a public relations firm specializing in strategic global marketing and communications, brand launch, corporate affairs, promotional partnerships, event planning, and institutional investment. So for those of you wondering how this relates to issues of public policy, you will soon learn. So again, welcome, and let's just jump right into it. Thank you. All right. So you had a public relations firm that has an international component to it. Um, how does the international political and economic environment uh, affect what you do and how you do it? Um, I'm going to start, I'm just going to go right into examples and how I dealt with it. So, and, you know, I appreciate you asking me because it really made me think back um, these questions over my career. And in 2007, I was approached by the Hemingway family, Ernest Hemingway's family. And Fidel Castro had approved uh, the a never-read-before epilogue of For Whom the Bell Tolls to be copied, Xeroxed for our age group, and sent to the JFK Library. But we had to raise money to do it. And Bush had a very strong stance on Cuba at that time. So I organized a fundraiser. The fundraiser was at, you know, a, a famous New York watering hole, Elaine's. And we had, we auctioned off photos from Hemingway's photographer, who was also friends with Castro, too. And it was a great event. Um, we had James Gandolfini come, who was go- going, at that time he was alive and he was going to play. Uh, he's going to play Hemingway in a movie. Unfortunately, that never happened. But it's just things like that where you think you're you're just running a fundraiser and there's some roadblocks, you know, our relationship with um, Cuba and, and how we go raise the money so the U.S. government didn't have to match it, give it, because they weren't going to. And a second... Uh, event that I planned was for the Nigerian government. At that time, President Goodluck Jonathan had launched the Global Counterterrorism Forum. And it was around the UN, when the UN was in session. And for the New Yorkers listening, we, we don't like when the UN is in session because the traffic is unbearable. But all those parking ticket fines the city's collecting. <laughs> <laughs> but we do that. I think the city loves that, but the New Yorkers don't like it. There's, you know, the traffic is bumper to bumper, and many times you have to walk 20 blocks. Um, other so, than that, it's great. Yes, other than that, New York, the vibrancy and, you know, the, the culture. Um, speaking of culture, this is where cultural differences come in. And... Uh, there was an event around this 
this global counterterrorism forum, which President Clinton and Kissinger were involved, we were speaking with ex-president, the Nigerian president, good luck, Jonathan. And, you know, it was, believe it or not, it was hard to get coverage, media coverage for this event, because so much is going on. So many offshoot events and forums and cocktail parties and dinners, and it was very hard. So as a good publicist, you look for what, what, how can we get media on this? And the Minister of Petroleum, everybody always wants to talk to him, especially CNBC. So I had booked him on the 5.30 hour of CNBC. And I asked him. He said yes. I gave him a little printout with the directions and the address. He said thank you. And I was waiting in front at 5 a.m. like a good little publicist. And he never came. What I didn't realize that the cultural differences of men and females and how what I should have done is given the paperwork to his wife who was standing next to him. But I didn't realize that in that country, it's you go back and forth. You've been back and forth. You know the culture more than I. I wasn't well versed. Can you speak to that? Why, yes, in many, (laughs) many cases. um, Yeah, when I'm in Africa, for instance, you know, one always has to be aware of the interactions between male and female, someone who's sort of your superior, if you will, or or not. One of the things I I remember in terms of cross-cultural is I was, my wife and I were at someone's house that was in rural Kenya. So we went over there, met the man who was hosting us for a meal and his wife, had a good time, and then a little while later, another one came out, and um, she was introduced as the junior wife. So, <laughs> the junior wife. And so it was very interesting because uh, I'm trying to figure out what is the correct way to socially interact on this one, and we just kind of went about it. We had a great time in the evening, um, but it was something that I had not really been prepared for, uh, but it was great. Dean, I needed you on my team that night for um, it, 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 to to guide me on how to interact. I, I didn't know, but now I do. Um, I was too young. I was very young, and I didn't do my due diligence, or no one guided me, but, but I know now. But I do want to bring up that this, you're bringing up a really good point, because we're talking about reason, thoughtful, and civil discourse, right. and you're bringing up a very important point, which is there's a cultural element that as we're interacting to be aware of it, and a lot of times we don't know it, so we can have some misunderstandings, which hinders Good communication. Right. I I felt like a failure, and I was worried on both sides, the people that hired me and the CNBC producer. But what I realized was, you know, if, you know, with the cultural differences, there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you can do. And the, the people that hired me on the Nigerian side were like, don't worry about it. CNBC was a little upset, but, you know, New York, we keep moving. New Yorkers keep moving. So it was just on to the next. But now I know. So that moves us into another question. Let's, let's go from international to domestic. So you are crafting messages and getting information out to the public or to particular markets or, seg- or individuals. So how... When you do that, how do you promote that? 
but also reason, thoughtful, and civil discourse. In other words, how do you, is there a tension in there or does it always flow naturally? It, um, you have to be very thoughtful in your strategy. And there's a fine line between, you know, the company and its executives and CEO and, and crafting the message. Um, a few years ago, I was launching a new hotel brand for a super successful billionaire. He had been in the hotel industry and he left and was coming back after eight years. And I thought, hee-haw, this is going to be easy. Everyone will want to write about this man. He's on CNBC, Weekly. Unfortunately, not one reporter was interested in the lodging industry. Now, I couldn't go back and tell his team and him, nobody cares. You have to come up with plan B. Mm -hmm. And plan B was what were the aspects of the brand that people were interested in now. And it, as it turned out, they were interested in the green factor. That it was two, three years ago when green, you know, green was in at that time. And, you know, it, it, it's always trendy about what's in, what's out, and you try to ride the wave. So once I placed the first three stories on this new green brand, then people started opening their minds to this idea, oh, Here's a man that was big in this industry, you know, launched famous brands, and now he's back launching a brand. So you have to be ready for plan A, plan B, plan C, uh, and ready to go with whatever your pitch is. Always digging, digging, digging for, you know, there's always a target market that's interested in what you have to sell, as I say in quotes. Okay, that's very helpful. Um Media, let's talk about the media and media training. You're involved in that. What does it look like? And what are the deliverables afterwards? Media training is one of my fortes. Uh, I have clients that are very open to it. In fact, your son works for Kovac Global, which was um, a great one of my clients that, you know, is is very interesting. They, during COVID, they would rescue COVID positive people no matter where they were in the world. Sometimes it would take two private jets. If the person was in Egypt, they'd have to stop. Um, instead of refueling, change planes in Ireland and then fly back to the States and then have um, an ambulance, a, a transport ambulance, bring them to their home. Um, this this CEO was, it was incredible, Ross Thompson. He, uh, and what I do is I gather the questions or the gist of the interview from the reporter. I write the bullet point answers with the CEO, and then we practice. We practice 10 days before every day. And Ross, I use Ross as an example because he was, he wanted to practice twice a day. He wanted to knock it out of the park. And boy, did he. I'm sure you said your son kept you abreast of all the media that was happening. And also on various outlets like LinkedIn. Yes, yes, yes. And then at, when something runs, I always post it to LinkedIn. Kovac Global posted uh, the media to LinkedIn. And even the CEO, Ross Thompson, posted it to to LinkedIn. So, you know, you're really bombarding the marketplace. 
which is a good thing in this case. Now, sometimes I just had a situation with the CEO a few weeks ago where she's smart, she's pretty. She said, I got this. I said, please, please let me media train you, please. Uh, I'm really busy. I don't need it. There's been lots of media around me. I got this. After the interview, how did it go? Oh, it went amazing. She was so interested in, in me. And I said, what? She was? Knowing, uh-oh, because she has a brand. She has a brand with super interesting clients. And that's, in my mind, that should have been the focus. And she almost cut the story. And she's giving us another opportunity uh, in come January for her to re-interview do a, you know, a, the interview again. And this time I chose to show her the email that the reporter sent me. I'm sorry, my editor wants to cut this. The interview was flat. She seemed to go on and on about herself. <laughs> what did Prince Philip say? Uh, never talk about yourself, only talk about what you're working on, unless it's a direct question. So that I think is a good lesson um, everyone needs media training. Uh, major CEOs probably sent, spend a half a million dollars on big firms that media train people. I love media training um, CEOs because it really gets them ready and you really get to know them and uh, you can really help them craft a message for their brand and what they're, excuse this language, trying to push to the marketplace. So moving on, I'll, I have a few follow-up questions. We'll hold those towards the end. Okay. Um, I'll get, let's, since Twitter's in the news these days, let's wait. So that'll give you a few minutes to think about this rather okay. than being sprung in terms of good and bad uh, communication and the impact on politics and public okay. policy. So the in your years of working, what do you think are the most important traits for a successful leader for a company? I would say... Being willing to do anything within reason to launch your brand. And one of my clients, which is a former president, our former president, Donald Trump, was my, pre was my client for eight years. I launched a modeling agency for him. I, I, worked, um, I worked on Melania do, doing her PR. Uh, I worked on his, if those of you who remember, he ran for president before he actually ran and won. And Donald Trump is so vivacious and interesting, and he is willing to do anything for a brand. And when you're launching a modeling agency, a lot of the events are way downtown where the young kids go in a dingy bar, <laughs> where right now you couldn't pay me to go. But if he said the event's there, I'll go. He would come. He knew the media loved him. He knew people wanted to take photos with him. And he would go down to Alphabet City or, you know, way in, or Brooklyn. And he would, you know, get out of his limo. He would talk to everybody. He would take photos. And, you know, that's an offbeat event for um, Mr. Trump at the time, who's, you know, a real estate 
magnet. And then also when he was uh, running for president the first time, we, he was, we were doing speeches in Miami. And Maureen Dow was going to do a story on Melania. And those of you who don't know Maureen, she's a, a New York Times opinion writer. She, she leans to the left. Um, she has her brother write once a year who leans far right, which, which I think is very cool of her. I, I really like her. And um, I, apparently people have told me they're scared of her. <laughs> but since we had her and she was open to doing a story on Melania, um, we touched down in Mr. Trump's plane in Washington, waited for her to get on the plane, and then we took off again. And, you know, he had a reporter who people are nervous to be around on the plane with us from Washington to Miami, you know, doing speeches in various places in Miami and then bringing her back to Washington. So I would say he's a great example of of willing to go, you know, out on a limb for whatever the brand is. Um For a company, important traits for a successful company. Yes. Uh, I would also say taking um, direction, especially with that media training. And you have to be willing, you know, you get to a point where you're CEO of a company and you, you know you're smart, you know you're hardworking, but there's always, there's always more to learn. And, and it does take a village. And sometimes your your expertise is not in public speaking. I have another client right now. He knows he's not a great public speaker. So whenever he has to uh, do a speech or a Q&A somewhere, he, he wants to be media trained in person six days before the actual event. So it's just knowing your limitations and also being open to to doing anything for your brand within reason. I remember uh, learning that one of the things politicians like to do is when they're asked a question by a reporter or someone in the media on topic A, they switch it and answer the question that they wish they'd asked, they've been asked. Uh, and then they, they happily answer that one, which is not the same as the one that was asked. And a lot of times it just goes by except for the individual who asked the question. So that, that's a way of managing Right. I, there's always bullet points we, we want to get in. So I, what we, why you practice is no matter what the question will be, you, you try to get your, your one, two punch in, you know, your two important aspects of your brand or the statistic you're trying to get across. It's you, you get that in no matter what, even if it's, what's your mother's name? You know, her name is, um, Susie. But, blah, 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 and you get your one-two punch in with your, your brand aspects. Okay, uh, another question is, if you were able to do something over again, maybe a, a client you had or a project you were working on, how would you might do it differently? If I had to do something over again, I went off on my own pretty early. I worked at a big PR firm, and it was Donald Trump and Starwood Hotels and Resorts said to me, if you go on your own, we're in. So that, I felt that stamp of approval. But I, as I um, look at other colleagues in the business, I think I could have stayed at a, a big PR firm, even though I was a senior vice president, 
for a few more years and gotten to know more people in the industry. But I was hungry. I, I, I knew I could do this on my own and I wanted to try. And I had, you know, Mr. Trump and Starwood saying, do it, do it, do it. We're behind you. Um, also, I think that one thing that I'm not great at is playing politics, um, the corporate politics. I was raised um, very Christian. You say what you mean. You never, you, you don't, you don't lie. You, you so what you see is what you get from me. I my word, I die on the sword, and unfortunately, the world doesn't work like that. <laughs> Not always. Not no, always. it doesn't. It can be a doggy doggy world. No, I've so. I've, I've been I've been abroad in on various things um, in in Africa, but elsewhere, and I've had political leaders just flat out lie to me. It's isn't it? It's and it's heartbreaking. They know they're lying. Mm-hmm. I know they're lying. They know that I know they're lying, and mm-hmm. we just look at each other and go, okay. <laughs> This is an odd situation, but let's just move forward from here. Yeah. Well, I, it, people are very driven in careers. And, uh, you know, so I, I am from the school of thought, let's all help each other. <laughs> Not everyone's like that. So um, my, I should have held my cards closer to me um, instead of... You know, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you my next move. Why, why don't you come on? I'll, let me try to get you a position at this this account. You know, you just you know have to be more, um, not self-serving, just holding your co- your cards closer to your chest. Okay. The, um, what I, are hope, s- I hope that's not too negative. No, that's not negative. It reminds me of Henry Kissinger. He was talking about negotiating with the Chinese. Uh, okay. back, this was back in the uh, early 70s when... Uh, the U.S. and China were beginning to try to find a way back together again after the Communist Revolution. And uh, there's this famous quote. I was watching him on a, a video, and he said, you know, in a negotiations, I always assume that the Chinese are smarter than I am, so I never lie to them because I figure if I lie, they're eventually going to figure out, and then I won't have the credibility. So he said, I just lay it out right there, which was a brilliant statement uh, to make because it it disarms the other side right. and praises them, but at the same time, enables you to communicate with them. Right. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Okay, a uh, couple. What are some common pitfalls in controlling a crisis? Things that one does that helps it go bluey and blow up. I, I love that question. I don't think you can control a, uh, a crisis, but you can try. Here's the good thing. A news story has two, a two-day life. So if nothing else feeds into the story, it's going to die after two days. That's the PR rule. A a new story has a two-day life. So when I worked for a big PR firm, this, our CEO was brilliant at uh, crisis control. And I don't know if you remember do you remember Sean Combs and Jennifer Lopez? They were in a nightclub and there was a shooting and they jumped in a navigator and they sped away. The police pulled them over because they went through a red light and found the handgun in the trunk of the car that w- that went off in the nightclub. And he was our client at the time. 
and you just have to throw your hands up, right? There was a shooting, the guns in in Puff Daddy's car, Jennifer Lopez and Puff Daddy were both arrested. What to do? You can't really do much. He said, let's change Sean Combs, Puff Daddy's name to P. Diddy. And we all looked at him like, what? And he said, everybody work on that. Call everybody you know and say Sean Combs' new name is P. Diddy. And that's what we did. And I thought, this guy must be crazy. But it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And after two days, that was the story. Puff Daddy has a new new name, P. Diddy. So I've, I'll never forget that. Um, if, you know, you can't really control a, a crisis. You just hope that there's there's no more, you know, offshoot news that goes into it. But if it's really bad, divert. <laughs> divert, <laughs> no, divert. Divert, divert. <laughs> but also, um, what I found is with some CEOs is that they want to just react. React. If, if someone attacks me or my family, you take it personally. And you want to, it's human nature to want to attack back. And the problem with that is when you, when you, to attack back, your verbiage isn't always strategic, clear, and kind. So you really have to take some time to craft a message that is eloquent and gets your point across and and doesn't attack back. And I've seen that with a few CEOs where if if you let them just talk to the media they would have they would have gone ballistic on what happened. And and you you really have to hold back and I know you wanted to talk about Twitter right? Yes. I, that that was a main pitfall I thought of some CEOs on Twitter and we I think we know who we're talking about when you get angry and get hurt you know, it's human nature to want to one, two punch back. And unfortunately, when there's no one to stop you with the filter, you may not say the kindest things. And, and unfortunately the, the world judges you on what you say. Okay. So let's take a, let's shift because we're beginning to get towards the end of our podcast, but uh, I think you gave some excellent advice and tips based upon your long experience. Let's convert that into the political realm. So we have political leaders. Uh, how do they, in their interaction with the public or with others, say from the opposition party or from opponents, how do they craft a message that communicates, but in a way that where they don't get angry or where they're not attacking others? What advice would you give to them? Don't do your own Twitter. <laughs> Don't do your own Twitter. Let someone else, um, which I'm sure most of them, most of the politicians don't. I, I think also having a team around you, because when you take a step back, you know, I mean, I, I am not an expert on politics, um, even though, you know, when I worked with Donald Trump, we had no, I had no idea he was going to be president of the United States. I, I, the first time he was running, I just thought, oh, this is another fun thing he's doing. <laughs> um, you know, and I was just on the sidelines. So now when I, I see politicians, they really have a strong team around them. They really do, you know, for what, what their stance is on 
climate or, you know, whatever, whatever the stance is. And, and you need that buffer. You need your people around, you know, to help you. Um, because, you know, if, um, well, you, you just need that, you know, everybody needs, um, a group of people around them to help them get their, their message across. That's my advice. And that's the, and that's what I, I die on the sword too with that. Well, this has been very interesting. We've, we've covered a long, um, list of items. Uh, for those of you who are listening, I think one of the reasons why I wanted Lisa here was just to talk about public relations because on civil discourse, what we say, how we say it, how we craft the message can amplify discord or it can address discord. It can tampen it down. And I think all of us can think of examples where it's inflamed public opinion in so many ways. Uh, so it's important to be, to craft the message. So thank you. And be thoughtful. And be thoughtful right. in what you do. So let's, um, let's wrap it up here. And uh, I think this has been a great podcast. It's been a little different from some of the others, and I, I think it's broadened our understanding of what discourse is quite a bit, taking a look at uh, communication and speech and how, how we respond to others. So I wanted to close by saying we have a number of events coming up uh, We in January. Uh, stay tuned on our Facebook and Instagram account as well as our website. We have a, a major speaker coming in mid-January. More details to follow. Uh, this event will be free and open to the public at the DeSantis Chapel on the campus of Palm Beach Atlantic University. Uh, I also want to mention we're coming up on our 10th anniversary of this Lemuse Center. So get out the confetti, throw it up in the air, have the balloons drop, uh, and then celebrate in, in best ways possible. So that'll be coming up in January as well as our 10th anniversary. Uh, if you want more information, we have the Quill publication, which we have a new edition coming out. It'll be our special 10th anniversary edition. And we also have, uh, you're able to get information through Facebook, as I mentioned, uh, and our website. So we have plenty of opportunities uh, right away. If you have questions or comments um, or complaints, we're always open to those at all. So until next time, thank you for join, joining the Quill podcast, and we will see you next time.